okay? I don't know what to do, but freeze. Uh, those of you online, we'll get better. We'll get better. Um, let me say a couple of things. Thank you for being here, and thank you for watching. For those of you that are watching online, for, for whatever reason, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. We, we trust that the truth of God's word will, will touch your heart and life. And I, I want us, can I say something kind of fatherly for a moment? We're here. There, is, there are people that aren't here because they, they have concerns. They want to keep their family safe. That's okay. There is no judgment. That's okay. There, there is no judgment. Um, all right? So if you're watching online and this is your church home, come back when you feel comfortable, when you feel ready, and we'll welcome you with virtual open arms. All right. Again, we encourage you to continue to give as God has blessed and prospered you. For those of you watching online, you can do that online at therivers.org. Thank you, Greg, for reminding me that I left off the S last week. I want to make sure therivers.org. And, uh, and here in the church, we have the offering baskets that are located throughout. If you'll take your outline, you should find them on your chairs uh, at home. I believe we sent it to them as a PDF. Sorry about the date. We're a week off, but it's the same teaching. Okay. So I have to get my notes, Greg. That's fine. <laughs> but I'm going to try to stay put for make it easy for you. We began a series two weeks ago entitled I Am Moses, and hence, I Am Moses. Uh, I've done a series of teachings over my ministry, I Am series, I Am Paul, I Am David, uh, different things like that. I even did one, I Am the Adversary. I didn't want to say I was the devil because that might be a little awkward. But what I like to do is study a person's life and see the life lessons that we can gain. And if you, if you joined us a couple of weeks ago, I shared why Moses was so significant. I mentioned nearly 900 times in the Bible. He is the author of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He um, really is the father, if you will, of the, the Jewish religion, and, and really, in many ways, the first initial leader of the nation of Israel. Now, I know, I know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but, but you have to understand, here's what makes this guy so absolutely amazing. Uh, I don't know about you. I think I have 19 versions of the Bible in print in my home, several of the NIV and and New Living, and of course I grew up on the King James Version. Put your hand on your heart when you say it. Uh, I have the reference Bibles and the Schofields and the Dakes and the annotated full whatever, and I have the Jack Hayford Spirit-Filled Bible and the Baptist Not-So-Spirit-Filled Bible. Uh, just a joke, just a joke. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I, I, mean, I mean nothing by it. But when you think about how... Moses started, he didn't have a Bible. 
If you think of the home that he was raised in, he didn't even have oral tradition of parents teaching him. Because if you look at Moses' life, he lived 120 years, you, you realize he has three chunks of 40. 40 years he's raised in, and lives in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh's the Egyptian. He's, he's the ruler over Egypt. Do you think they were teaching him about Hebrew culture and faith? Absolutely not. And yet somewhere in that 40 years, he comes to recognize that he is one of them. And the Bible tells us that he leaves them and goes to his family. I'm leaving out a lot of history. You just go through and, and read Exodus 1 and 2 and you'll catch up with where I'm at. You'll see then he, he chooses to align with his Hebrew family and then thinks he's going to bring uh, some deliverance because he ends up killing an Egyptian and that leads to him fleeing for his life, which leads to period number two of 40 years, which he spends out in the wilderness. And a, a couple of weeks ago, I shared the interesting parallel that both Moses and Jesus' ministry started in the wilderness. Uh, Moses spent 40 years. Jesus spent 40 days. But both of them had an encounter in the wilderness that launched their ministry, that launched who they were and who they would become. In Moses' case, you realize no Bible, no written account, no family. He knew a story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. That's what he knew. And so as we look at this verse, if you have your Bibles, I'm in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. I have a rather long passage. He's out there for 40 years when this happens. Can you imagine 39 years, 8 months? You're wondering, okay, well, I guess this is just my calling. And then this happens. Exodus chapter 3, it says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. The angel of the Lord, when it's singular in the Old Testament, that's the pre-incarnate Jesus. That's Jesus before he became human. Jesus appeared to him in a burning bush. Do you think that might change your life? Amen. Do you think that a burning bush is unusual in the desert? Probably not. What made this one unusual? It's in the next sentence. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. That was the first signal that this was not a normal encounter like he'd had so many times. Something was different. If you've ever been in those kinds of deserts where it can be 120 degrees and you can have heat and there's just spontaneous combustion. Something that would be so dry it would burst into flames. This was different because it didn't burn up. So it says, Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. He didn't go over there because Jesus was calling, Moses, come over here. He went there because something supernatural was happening in a very natural way. 
Does that make sense? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. I don't know about you. In the 70s, some of my friends had trees talking to them. <laughs> and in our state, some still do. But do you see that it's not every day that a burning bush doesn't burn up, number one. And number two, it starts calling you by name. And if it does, I'd be thinking, what did I have for lunch? It was those mushrooms. I told her not to put those in. They were bad. <laughs> but Moses, this is what's cool. Look what he says. Here I am. You call my name? That's me. That's pretty amazing. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, so now he's going to identify who he is. I am the God of your father. His real father, his birth father, not Pharaoh. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You realize in Deuteronomy 34, it says about Moses at the end of the life that there was never anyone like him that looked at God face to face. That's why we study him, because he did things that no one else ever did. He had revelation until Jesus that no one else ever did. He had an encounter with the great I am in the most common of places through the most common of things, and it changed his life, and it changed ours as well. The Lord said, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So far, 90% good message. Right? I've seen their need. I'm bringing them out. I'm 100% on board. Oh, by the way, let me list some people you're going to have to face. One, two, three, four, five. I, I'm not, but still, I'm, I'm okay with that. Because you've heard the cry, and I've seen the way the Egyptians... So you understand, we're not alone in this. God knew where they were. Here's the part that gets bothersome. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. To bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Everything was okay till we got to that line. Yeah, I want to see them delivered. Yes, they're treated unfairly. I lived in Pharaoh's house. He's dark. He's cruel. He's mean. He's not relational. I can see why you want to get him out. That's all good. You're going to be the one doing it. Uh, excuse me. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So what is the significance of the burning bush? Because we realize that God calls Moses through that burning bush. God could have called him in any way through any means. 
He could have done it. He could have just said, woke him up. Could have given him a dream. Could have given him a vision. Could have had a, a rock drop out of the sky since messages on rock kind of was a thing that he and Moses had going later. Maybe we could have just said, hi, I'm God. I dropped this off. <laughs> you know, could have. But he chose the burning bush. The significance of the bush, it was a way God could reveal himself to Moses. Let's look at, I think, seven things I've listed. Number one, it was supernatural. There was something different about this. There was something different. It was a supernatural encounter. It's not every day that bushes don't burn up and that they talk to you. It was supernatural. It was also light-giving. It's interesting that it was light-giving. Fire is symbolic of purity. And Moses is instructed to remove his sandals. Why? Because he's on holy ground. It was pure. It was pure. So we have its light giving. What did Moses know? Only the dark, demonic, satanic gods of Egypt. That they were sinister. And now it's pure because fire is, is pure. It was powerful. Why was it powerful? Because it wasn't consumed. Another thing that was unusual about this was it was approachable. It was approachable. Come on up here. This is a key for us because it reminds us that God is an approachable God. The gods of Egypt, including his adoptive father, Pharaoh, were not approachable people. But the good news is we can approach the throne of grace. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, not with fear, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is where we are today. It is okay to approach God and say, We're in a mess here. It has destroyed whatever it's destroyed in our life. I need you to show up, Jesus. It's not selfish to ask him. In fact, he's waiting for his children to ask. And so join me right now as we go to God in confidence and say, Father, in Jesus' name, stop this virus from our land. In Jesus' name, by your spirit, stop this disease and the impact that it has and the lies and the falsehoods and everything and the fear and all of the attendant things that have resulted from this stop their impact in Jesus name amen. Amen. amen number six it was relational it was relational it's not every day that a bush calls you by name which tells us that Jesus wants to be in relationship not with me as your pastor, but directly with you. That you can be on a first name basis with Jesus. Seven, it was natural. God will always interact with us in simple and natural ways of our daily lives. So Moses is all good with this except for that one sentence. And so he rejects the call of God. And let's look at his five negative responses to God. And God had five responses to him. And if you want a title for today's teaching, it's God's answer to every problem. God's answer to every problem. Well, the first negative response that Moses had was, was fear of failure. Fear of failure. That's 
this sense of self-doubt or low self-esteem, what's he say first? Who am I? In verse 11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Look at God's answer. And God said, I will be with you. I don't know if I put that verse in your notes, but if I did, please circle it and highlight it. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Okay, that's kind of cool, but you're saying I got to go through all of this, and then when I'm done, it'll be confirmed that, yeah, remember back when? I need something a little more sure than that. We all have self-doubt. And if we're honest, we've all at times suffered with low self-esteem. We wonder, are we really the ones equipped to do what needs to be done? Has God ever asked you to do something? Has he ever challenged you to do something and you think, you know, I sure wish you'd call Dale. Now, I'm not saying that we don't share things in the body of Christ. There's some of the things that we're strong in, and like Dale wrote our plan, and what a beautiful job she did. And if you were waiting for me to finish it, we'd still be waiting. I'm not saying that. But, you know, there's things that God calls you to do. You sense, oh, you need to go to this. Oh, you know, you can get another neighbor to go to that neighbor. Right? We all have self-doubt. We all have low self-esteem. We all wonder if we have what it takes But look at what God says. I will be with you. I promise that you'll have my presence. When you were young and you were going to be challenged to do something, maybe you're like me as a very shy boy. Very shy boy. And when it came time to try out for sports, well, what if I'm not the best? What if I'm not even good? I was the fastest sprinter in my school, largely out of fear, not because of talent. Because I was raised in a family never fight, and so I was into the flight. But I was always happy when Dad said, I'll be there to watch you. Because if Dad was there, it was going to be okay. Well, hear me. Dad says, I will be with you. That situation at work that you wonder how you're going to get through, how you're going to face it, here's what he says. I will be with you. How many thinks that should stop the argument? It should, but not in Moses' case. Because his second thing is he has a fear of man. He has a fear of man. What are people going to think? How will they respond? I'm in verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what will I tell them? Now, think about this for a minute. When do you ask God, suppose? Think what suppose means. Have you thought about the possibilities? Have you thought about all the possible outcomes? Have you really thought this through? 
It's okay when I come up with a, a nutty idea that Jill says to me, well, suppose. It's okay because I get ideas, but I don't always think them through. Like ordering five tons of rock on Memorial Weekend and having it dumped in the street and having to have it out of the street on the hottest weekend of the year. Suppose we wait till it's cooler. I would have loved that question. But who says to God, suppose? Because it implies he hasn't thought through everything. So here's what God says. I am who I am. That is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. Here's what God's saying. I am the transcendent God. I am in your present. I am beyond your present. I was in your past. I will be in your future. I will be in every circumstance. I will be in every situation. This is God saying the blessing. I am for you. I am for you. I am for you. I will be with you in your reality. I will be with you in your problems. I will be with you in your challenges. Do you understand this was the first time that God revealed his personal name to someone? He was God Almighty or the Lord Almighty. That's why they knew him. That's more of a, that's not a name, it's a title. My name is Mark, a title's pastor or training officer or whatever it is I do. What is this answer? I will be with you. Are you seeing a theme? You think that would handle it? No. Next thing is the fear of failure, the fear of outcomes, the fear of the unknown. If we go over to Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if, or suppose, they do not believe me or, or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Again, he's saying, Have you thought about the consequences? Have you thought about the outcomes? Do you realize you're patronizing God when you ask him, did you think this through? I did this in my early ministry. Why me? Please don't feel bad and, and come back next week, but I didn't even like people. Not because I didn't like them, I just wasn't comfortable. I didn't know how to handle it. You see, God never has to consider outcomes. Why? Because he already knows them. Do you see that? He already knows them. God doesn't have to think. So how does God respond to that question? The Lord said to him, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it to the ground. Moses threw it to the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Good response. Good response. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Moses is much better than me because my response would be here, the Mark O'Connell version would be, are you out of your mind? <laughs> I've spent 40 years in the desert. I killed them. Now you want me to take it by the tail? But it says, Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. 
Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. He says, now put it back in your cloak. Okay, I'll, I'll try that one. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Do you realize the rest of his life, God was with Moses in that rod? Think about what it's going to do at the Red Sea. Think about what it's going to do over the army of Egypt. Think about what it's going to do when the people are thirsty. Think about what it's going to do when people are hungry. Every time Moses needs the presence of God, he'll have it. Then we think it'd be done, but no, he accuses God next. He says, I'm unequipped for this task, this calling. If you wanted me to do this, you should have made me a better talker. Now I'm in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, never, neither in the past nor since. You have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Do you realize he's saying to God, you didn't equip me well for what I'm supposed to do. But here's the thing I want us to get from this. Catch this. God will always divinely disable you so that you need him. God will divinely disable you so you need him. There is always going to be something missing, and God is going to be the one that makes up the void. Why? Because in this way, God is glorified. Why did God pick Moses, who's not a great speech maker? Because he didn't want Pharaoh to say, Oh, that silver-tongued Moses just talked me out of three million people. I couldn't believe how he did it. I said, Go! It's amazing. I just, I just was mesmerized. I was spellbound by his words. That didn't happen. The Lord responds, verse 11, chapter 4, Who gives human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Here's what he's saying. I'll be with you, I'll be in your mouth, and I'll give you the words. What more do you want? Do you think that would stop it? No. Number five, choose someone else. Choose someone else. The four promises or guarantees that God had given that said, I will be with you, I will be with you, I will be with you, were not good enough for Moses. And so Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, send someone else. Chapter 4, verse 14. The Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Catch this truth. The comfort that God couldn't, you can fill this one in, produce or provide, whichever word you like, the comfort that God couldn't provide for Moses was produced by a man. The answer, which was Aaron, would be a thorn in Moses' side for the rest of his life.
So let's talk as we close about the value of the presence of God, which is the greatest guarantee. Number one, the presence of God is the answer to fear, the answer to anxiety, and it's the answer to worry. In the worst situation, God says, I will be with you. In Psalm 23, verse 4, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. When we focus on God's presence, nothing can make you afraid. But fear always breeds itself in a godless environment. Fear breeds in a godless environment. Do you know this? Dr. Caroline Leaf, who was featured last week in our teaching, a great neuroscientist, said this, Our brains are wired for love, and we learn fear. Fear is not normal. Do you know that we only have two fears that we're born with? Falling and loud noises. Every other fear that we have is acquired. Listen to this. The presence of fear is the evidence of the presence of Satan. Fear is a spirit. If you're fearful, it tells you who's present. Not saying he's controlling your life, just saying who's present. And so when that happens, what do you do? You have to do the same thing Jesus did. You know the word of God, and you speak to the adversary. The presence of God makes people and problems take their right perspective. When we don't recognize the presence of God in our life and in our circumstances, everything else, people, problems get larger. Look at what happened. The ten spies, later in this story, go into Egypt and they come back and says, they think we're grasshoppers. Well, how crazy is that? How do you know what they're thinking? Did you go interview them? What do you think of us? Well, you guys look rather small. When we don't see God, people look big. Their opinions become big. Their opposition becomes big. But when we see God, people, problems, and opposition become small. Why do we worship? Why do we sing those songs? Because God is an egomaniac and needs us to do a few things before he'll answer? Absolutely not. We worship so we can see how big our God is. And it puts everything else in the right perspective. When we recognize the presence of God, everything shrinks to its proper perspective. When God is present, we see everything correctly. And number three, the presence of God is the only thing that makes everything possible. When we partner with God, anything we're designed or called to do is possible. He can take a little boy that lives on a mountain who's not near anybody that really doesn't want to be around people because not around people, and says, I'm going to call you and I'm going to use you and have you speak in front of people, and why would you want to do that? But when God shows up, and my wife can testify to this, because there's many a week, even this morning, please send someone else, I don't want to go. But when I stand, God shows up, and I know he shows up, and it's always amazing when he shows up, and I go home and say, that was really neat, I was surprised he showed up after nearly 40 years. You see, we don't need everything, every gift, every resource in order to be used by God to achieve something supernatural. Because God has called us to greatness and to do things that are only possible with His presence. It's the presence of God, the answer to every problem. I will be with you. 
is the answer to every problem. Lord, help us to recognize your presence in our life. Help us to no longer view ourselves inappropriately as grasshoppers, that we're too small to accomplish anything. And said, may we see ourselves as giant killers. Give us a new manifestation of your presence in our lives. Cause fear, worry, and anxiety to go in Jesus' name. Infuse us with faith and help us to believe again in things we once believed in but have stopped believing. So Lord, this morning we confess, I believe by faith, we believe by faith that God is with us and he loves us. Because he's with us, all things are possible. We choose to focus on God's presence and the promises he's made to us. Our faults, difficult people in our lives, negative circumstances will not overwhelm us. We will not compare the giants in our lives to our abilities, but we will compare the giants in our lives to our God, who is bigger, and they are little grasshoppers in his sight. I will daily set the Lord before me, and because you are our right hand, we will not be moved. Amen and amen. The blessing of God's presence is the blessing of peace, the blessing of power, of comfort, of rest, and confidence, and the blessing of fulfilled promises. God has that for you. He has that for us, for a church family, as the rivers. He has promised, I will be with you. Amen, amen. and amen. <laughs>